voice. And I've chosen this version because it's, it's a version that sets up the Bible in a script form like a dramatic reading. And I think it helps us maybe to uh, experience this story a little bit better that way. So listen to the Word of God. Jesus wasn't the only one being crucified that day. There were two others, criminals, who were also being led to execution. When they came to the place known as the Skull, they crucified Jesus there in the company of criminals, one to the right and one to the left. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Meanwhile, they were drawing lots to see who would win Jesus' clothing. The crowd of people stood by watching. So, he was supposed to rescue others, was he? He was supposed to be God's anointed the liberating king, let's see him start by liberating himself. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The soldiers joined in the mockery first, pretending to give him a soothing drink, but it was sour wine. Hey, if you're the king, why don't you free yourself? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even the inscription placed over him was intended to mock him. This is the king of the Jews written in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. One of the criminals joined in the cruel talk. You're supposed to be the anointed one, right? Well, do it. Rescue yourself and us. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The second criminal told the first one to be quiet. Don't you have any fear of God at all? You're getting away. You're getting the same death sentence he is. We're getting what we deserve since we've committed crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong at all. Jesus, when you come in your kingdom, please remember me. I promise you, this very day, you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that this word that you have given us would 
sink deep into our hearts today with its redeeming, healing power. Amid all of the noise of our context, of our time, we pray that your words would make a mark, that we would hear them and be changed by them. Amen. Now take a minute, please, and um, look at the survey that's inside your bulletin in that little insert. How would you probably respond to undeserved suffering? That's the, the quick survey question today. Some of you may have already gotten this on your, your phone during the week and filled it out. But if not, take a look at it right now. I've given you several alternatives here. Pick one that you think is the most likely to be the one you would use as direct to undeserved suffering. And if you have another alternate version of this, you can write in your own too. Now, once you've decided on your answer, turn to the neighbor next to you and just share what your answer was. Would you do that, please? Take a minute and share your answer with somebody next to you. Okay, let me just get a quick, uh, little quick, you know, indication right here this morning. How many of you thought that um, the duck and run was the most likely solution to this? Yeah, there's some hands out there. How about the, uh, how dare you? How about the uh, que sera, sera? <laughs> okay, looks like we're all over the map. All three of these are very human responses to suffering. In fact, psychologists tell us, you know, that we're instinctively, we either fight or we flee or maybe we freeze. So we're just like most human beings. But here's what I'm wondering about today. Um, The suffering of Jesus was so much greater than our suffering will ever be. And yet, his response was so, so different than our usual response to suffering. And today, I want to try to understand that and, um, and let Jesus speak to me through that. As Pastor Kent showed us last Sunday, crucifixion was not like a Sunday school picnic. It was reserved for rebels and slaves They were strung up, naked, and tortured to death. And if you want to get an unsanitized picture of the crucifixion, just watch The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's film. You see the blood oozing from the lacerated flesh of Jesus, the battered face, almost unrecognizable, the bloodshot eyes. A man hardly able to breathe, hardly able to speak. Yet, he does speak. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
That is Jesus' amazing alternate response. The one that we didn't list because it's not very natural for us humans. Jesus does not fight. He doesn't flee. He doesn't freeze. But he engages that suffering with compassion and with forgiveness. You know, my, my MO is, is much like yours. I ought probably all oscillate between these various responses when I'm faced with suffering. I remember years ago when I was a young pastor, there was a woman in my congregation whom I'm going to call Mrs. M. And Mrs. M hated my preaching. Not just how I preached, but actually what I preached. And I think Mrs. M, was her, her critique was partly valid because I've never been the greatest preacher. I admit that. And I'm by far not a perfect pastor. But it really hurt, especially when Mrs. M lobbied to get me fired. I began to dislike Mrs. M. In fact, I thought she was the nearest thing I'd ever met to the Wicked Witch of the North. Now, one Sunday during Advent when I was preaching, suddenly Mrs. M. stood up suddenly from her seat with a hymn book in her hand and began charging toward me. This is all true. And as she charged toward me with this hymn book and with a frantic look on her face, I wondered if I should put my leg out to trip her before she could hit me because I really expected something strange was about to happen. But before I could uh, get my wits about me, she ran past me and began beating something there and I looked, turned back and saw that the Advent candle had caught the altar cloth on fire. <laughs> it's all true and she was beating out the fire so Mrs. M saved the day. But she still disliked me and I still disliked her. And looking back now to my younger self, one of the deep regrets of my life is that we were never fully reconciled as long as I was at that church. And I regret that I did not learn more from surveying the wondrous cross on which Jesus died to learn a new and creative way to respond to the suffering that I was feeling. Jesus suffered so much more than I ever will, but his response was so, so different. And let's keep in mind, um, that the whole life of Jesus was one of sacrifice. His whole life was one of bearing the burdens of others that he came to save. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And can you finish this? And to give my life as a ransom for many. He saw that as the purpose of his whole life was, you might say that he, he not only died a crucified death, he lived a crucified life. His whole life was one of self-giving um, being vulnerable to pain and to suffering because he loved. Mother Teresa 
who spent her life serving the poor in India, once wrote a poem which is called Anyway, and I've just brought a few lines to share with you this morning. In this poem, she said, People are unreasonable and self-centered. Love them anyway. People are... people. The good you may do to people will be forgotten tomorrow, but do good anyway. People who need help may attack you when you help them, but help them and love them anyway. She was expressing, I think, this very thing that Jesus went through his whole life of reaching out to love people who often did not appreciate what he did for them, who did not show gratitude, and some who turned against him and attacked him because of his love for them. But C.S. Lewis says that to love is to be vulnerable, and the rest of this quotation from Lewis says, love anything or anyone, and your heart will almost certainly be wrung and possibly broken. This is honest, isn't it? True. Love anything or anyone, and your heart will almost certainly be wrung and possibly broken. But this was what Jesus did. When I survey that wondrous cross, he opened himself up to emotional and physical pain. He made himself accessible. He didn't protect himself from the hurt that comes from love. Why is Jesus' response so different? I believe it's because he is the man who lives fully in the presence of God. And God is love, God is compassion. And this man who lives fully in God's presence, the Son of God, is able to be the channel of that love, the true image of God to others. He is the man for others because he is the man who is most fully in God's image. Now, as a a former college teacher, I like to have definitions so that we are all clear as to what we're talking about. And here's my definition today of love. I'd like you to focus on this. Love is the vulnerable giving of self for the empowerment of others. I get this definition when I survey that wondrous cross. God is love, and God in Christ has shown us what love is. This vulnerable giving of ourselves to empower others, or to say it in simple terms, give till it hurts. The word forgiveness is one that we also need to think about for a minute. Sometimes we, I think we just have a shallow understanding of this word. Forgiveness is not merely some changing of our mental attitude about something, but it's it's a very active thing. It's forgiveness. Notice the word give in there and the word for. It's a it's a forth giving. It's a giving forward. It's um, reaching out. It's leaning toward the need. It's taking initiative toward reconciliation and restoration of a relationship for giving, forth giving of our very life that we might bless someone and help them. Jesus told a parable, the Good Shepherd, which illustrates this forth-giving, vulnerable nature of love. The good shepherd 
left his 99 that were in the fold and went out to search for the one lost sheep. And that made him vulnerable and exposed to all kinds of dangers and unsafe. He had to traverse those rocky cliffs and crevasses and feel the thorns tearing his skin to find that lost sheep. As Kent read this morning, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. I think that Jesus had that prophecy in mind when he told this parable because he knew that he was that good shepherd. And that shepherd goes out and risks the dangers even of the stalking of the prey, the, the, rather the predator stalking their prey so that the good shepherd can save his lamb. In other words, the shepherd, the good shepherd, has to absorb the lostness of that lost sheep into his own body. He has to take that suffering upon himself. Out of love for us, Jesus absorbs the cost of evil. The Good Samaritan is another story Jesus told that illustrates this. And again, I think the Good Samaritan, first of all, points to Jesus himself. He is the Good Samaritan. He is the one who gets his own robes bloody with the blood of that victim by the roadside who's been left for dead. He's the one who carries that wounded man to the first century equivalent of a hospital and pays that hospital up front to take care of this man until he is healed. He's absorbing the cost of that evil from his own pocketbook, from his own, you know, sense of safety. He's risking himself. This love moves towards people. It's not standing outside and judging them, but entering into their lives. Love is intrusive. It doesn't leave people to suffer alone. So if someone steals from you, you might want to make them pay for it. If you were one of my grandchildren, you might want to steal something back from them or hit them. If you're grown up, you might want to take them to court. Maybe at least you'd want to distance yourself from them and punish them that way as an enemy. But if you wanted to absorb the cost of that evil, maybe you would be able to find a way to, um, to love them in spite of that offense, to reach out to them and to love them and to forgive them and to find a way to heal whatever it is that made them steal in the first place. I read a story a few years ago about the Vietnam War. A patrol of soldiers heard the VC approaching, the Viet Cong, and they jumped into a trench where they remained very quiet, hoping that the danger would pass. But they were apparently discovered, and someone threw a grenade into the trench. This grenade was going to explode momentarily, and one of the soldiers threw himself, his whole body, over the grenade. Just an impulsive act of care and love for his fellow soldiers. That grenade blew his stomach to smithereens, And he was crying, God, it hurts. God, it hurts. He didn't survive, although his platoon did. 
But as I read that story, I thought, what a great illustration of what Jesus did of absorbing the cost of evil for us during his whole life as well as on the cross. Jesus absorbs that destructive explosion of sin and death and endures the agony. But now I want to come to this criminal and the conversation he had with Jesus. Who is this criminal who reaches out to Jesus and says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, please remember me. He probably wasn't just a common criminal, because remember that the cross was reserved for special cases, for rebels, insurrectionists, rebellious slaves, anyone who challenged the authority of Caesar. The crucifixion was usually a, a, a penalty reserved for political kinds of crimes like that, a rebellion against the, the uh, laws of the empire. I'm sure that that criminal hates the Romans like many of his fellow Jews. That's why he was an outlaw. Maybe he was a freedom fighter. Maybe he was like a Robin Hood trying to fight for justice and for freedom. But whatever the case, he's now dying. He's being punished. And I think that when he hears Jesus expressing forgiveness for his oppressors, Father, forgive them. This message of grace begins to transform this criminal's heart as well. Because he now sees where the real revolution is. The real revolution is not fighting the Romans and hating them. You know that most, most so-called revolutions are very shallow and they're very, and they're very relative because they simply transfer the violence from one party to a different party. But Jesus' revolution is different because he, by his love and forgiveness on the cross, he is totally undermining that violent coercion upon which the Roman Empire was based. He is establishing a new foundation for a community of love and forgiveness that will overcome hatred and violence. So I think this was the the clue for that criminal that day that touched his heart and changed him. He himself is touched by the grace of God to know that, that he is loved by this God who loves his enemies and, and that his own heart is being transformed towards his enemies. You see, Jesus' concern that day on the cross was not simply to get this criminal's soul into heaven. He wanted to get heaven into that criminal's soul that very day. And that was the meaning, really, of when he said unto the, to the thief, the criminal, today, I promise you today, you will be with me in paradise. Remember what paradise means. Paradise is the presence of God, right? The Garden of Eden was called a paradise because God was so close to his people there. The uh, Revelation talks about the paradise of the new Jerusalem and the new, the new heavens, the new earth. But paradise is a Jewish way to refer to where God is, to being close to God. And um, the Apostle Paul once spoke of being caught up into paradise while he was still alive, experiencing God's presence and God's love and compassion. 
And remember, Jesus' name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. So if, if you're with Jesus, guess where you are? You're with God, and you're in paradise as soon as you connect to Jesus. Paradise happens now for, the, for we who believe in Jesus. It's not some pie in the sky by and by. It's God's kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven through the Messiah, Jesus. It's God's healing presence here, God's presence now. See, there's a problem with this story if, if we think that Jesus was just talking about meeting the thief in heaven because Jesus didn't get to heaven that day, according to his own words. In John 20, he told Mary after his resurrection, I have not yet ascended to the Father, so don't hold on to me. I still have to complete that. He didn't go to heaven on that Friday of his crucifixion or to paradise, but he was with that criminal in paradise that very day because he, the Son of God, the one who is God with us, brought paradise to that dying criminal on the cross. When I was a teen, one of the songs we liked to sing in our youth group was that old song, Heaven Came Down, you know, Heaven Came Down and Glory Filled My Soul. When at the cross, the Savior made me whole, yeah. That's what I think was happening this day on Calvary. Heaven came down, paradise came down. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And so Jesus, as he dies, leads this now joyous, forgiven, and grateful criminal with him further into that paradise, which they've already begun to experience. Now, I want to show you now how this works in real life, how this, how this affects us and changes us as those who follow Jesus. We're going to listen to a story by this woman named Corrie Ten Boom. She was a Dutch Reformed Christian living in Holland. Her family saved hundreds of people during the Nazi occupation of Holland by hiding them in their house. They had a place they called the hiding place. And if you're of my generation, you've probably, you probably know this woman because she was quite a well-known speaker in the 60s and 70s around the world telling her story. If you're younger, you might not have heard of her. But in any case, I, as, as, listen to this story. I want you to listen for something. Listen for the reference to paradise near the end of this story. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin. And there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man. It was one of the most cruel outseers, guards, in the concentration in concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian. I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for the opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Ter once in here forgiven, will you forgive me? And I could not. When I was in a concentration camp, 
One of the most terrible things I had to go through was that they stripped us of all our clothing and we had to stand naked. The first time was the worst. I said, Betsy, I cannot bear this. And suddenly it was as if I saw Jesus at the cross. And the Bible tells they took his garments, he hung there naked. And I knew he hung there for me, for my sins. And by my suffering, I understood a fraction of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And it made me so thankful that I could bear my suffering. Did you hear that reference to paradise? She says, I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never feel the ocean of God's love more, she said, than when you forgive your enemy. Jesus says, yes, today I tell you, you'll be with me in paradise. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I want to lead us now in a prayer as we close this time of hearing God's word. And I've chosen this prayer, which is called the prayer of St. Francis. 
It's also in your bulletin, and I'll, and I'll put it on the screen here too, the first part of it. I'd like you to pray this first part with me, and I will uh, conclude by praying the last part by myself. But as we pray this prayer, we are praying that we might be brought into this experience of that the thief on the cross that day of experiencing <clears throat> paradise, of being with the one who is God with us, to be able to receive not only his grace and forgiveness for our sin, but to be able to be part of his movement, which is circling the world, to bring that love and grace of God to all people. So we bow our heads as we pray. Let's pray together. Lord, make me a channel of your peace. Where there is hatred, love. Where there is offense, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Master, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that one receives, it is in self-forgetting that one finds, in pardoning that one is pardoned, in dying that one is raised to eternal life. Amen.